All right. Who remembers that song? Anybody? All right. A few of you. Um, yeah, my name's Norton. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, The Who first sang that song. That, they're, that's, they're called The Who, right? That's, um, they first sang that song in 1965, and it became one of the greatest rock and roll songs of, of all time, probably one of the greatest youth rebellion songs of all time. Um, because that was the middle of the 1960s, right? And boomers, baby boomers, who were just growing up, were reaching that part in their lives where they were beginning to rebel against their parents, against society, against everything that the previous generation uh, had handed down to them. And uh, the lyrics to that song, I think, are great because, interestingly enough, 15 or 20 years later, all the Gen Xers would uh, rebel in the same way. And then uh, a few years later, millennials would sort of grow up and they could probably have said some of those same words. And even Gen Zers now could probably say some of those same words. Um, Here's just a few of the lyrics. Uh, People try to put us down, right? Talking about my generation just because we get around. Why don't you all fade away? Don't try to dig what we all say. This is my generation. This is my generation, baby. (laughs) Right? So for the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about this. Uh, We've been talking about this idea that every generation is unique, that all of the generations that we come from are unique. So we've been talking about generations. We've also talked about life stages, how we all actually go through some of the same life stages. We all go through adolescence and then young adulthood and then middle adulthood and late adulthood. And yet the time that we go through those stages the, the historical circumstances, the, the generational context is different. And so there are some similarities, and yet there's also some key differences that make each one of our generations unique. Um, and last week, uh, we've given a lot of sort of background on, on what that looks like, these life stages, these generations. And then last week, I challenged all of us, and I say us because it's a challenge Uh, to me as well, that when it comes to relating to people who are from a different generation or a different age or a different life stage, there's a few things we have to stop doing. We need to stop blaming each other. We need to stop dismissing, stop lecturing, stop judging, and stop misseeing each other. Because whenever we see someone else and think, oh, they're just a baby boomer, right? And they're okay boomer, right? And they're old and they don't get it and they're not living in the real world and they don't understand who I am and all that. Or maybe you're uh, older and you see someone else and you're like, oh, they're just a millennial or they're a teenager or whatever. And what do they know? And one of these days they're going to figure it out and all that. And what we're doing is we're misseeing them. We're, we're seeing them according to certain categories or thoughts we have, and then we tend to blame them or dismiss them or judge them or maybe lecture them. And we need to figure out how to check ourselves. Some of that's natural, and that's just the way we see all kinds of people. We put them in categories and we judge them, and sometimes we just need to check ourselves and stop doing those things. Well, today, uh, I want to move forward and begin to ask, what positive can we do? What are some positive things we can do? How can we begin to relate to each other, particularly those who are very different than us, a whole lot better and in a whole lot more healthy way? And so I'm going to give you a few ideas today. Um, and then next week, Stephen's going to come back and he's going to add one or two more ideas to that and sort of build on that. Some really important things he's going to talk about. And then in two weeks, we're going to wrap up this whole series um, in a really fun way. So does all that sound good? Good with you guys? All right. Good. Uh, So here's the deal. Here's what we need to start doing when it comes 
to people of a different age, when it comes to somebody who's in a different life stage than you, when it comes to someone who's clearly from a different generation than you, here's what I want to challenge all of us to do. We need to start connecting with, listening to, and learning from each other. That is specifically, if you're young, if you're a Gen Zer, or maybe you're a millennial, you need to start connecting with builders and baby boomers and Gen Xers. And I don't just mean your parents or your grandparents. That's a great place to start. But maybe connecting with other people who are builders or baby boomers or Gen Xers and actually start listening to them. And maybe start learning from them. And if you're here today and you're over 40, you're a Gen Xer or you're a baby boomer, you need to start connecting more with millennials and Gen Zers and not just your kids or your grandkids. And you need to start listening to them and learning from them. And as simple as that sounds, it's really simple, right? It's actually quite hard. And we have a difficult time doing this. And I'll share a little bit about why in just a second. But first, I want to show you how the Bible actually alludes to this idea. Our faith speaks to this idea that this is really, really important, that people of different ages and of different generations and different life stages actually need to learn from one another. There's important wisdom and values that we need to share with each other. You might remember the story of uh, Moses, and he's about to enter the promised land with the people of Israel. In fact, he's probably not going to enter the promised land. He's old and he's dying, but he's led them. Remember, it started with the exodus from Egypt, and then for 40 years, he led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And during that whole time, he's teaching them everything he can possibly teach them. He's teaching them about God, and he's teaching them all about the things that God has revealed to him, all of these laws and commandments and the expectations and the mission that they have as a people. And so he's been sharing all this, and then when he gets to the very end of that journey, they're about to enter the promised land, Moses gathers everybody together, and he summarizes everything. He says, here's my final charge to you. Let me just summarize all of the most important stuff that I've been trying to tell you about what it means to be the people of God and to follow God. And that big final charge in that summary is actually all written down, and that's just the book of Deuteronomy. It's this final charge. And at the very end of that charge, he says, if I can pull all of this together and I can take all the teaching and all the commandments and everything I've told you, here's how you can figure out how to live that out in your lives going forward, especially as a new generation of younger people. Here's how you need to figure that out. And he says this, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. You want to know how to live out all this teaching and all of this instruction and all of this wisdom, everything that I've told you? You want to know how to do that? You need to ask your parents, or you need to ask some elders. You need to ask the generation that went before you. You need to ask the older generation. Talk to them. Listen to them. Learn from them. Uh, Job gets this as well. The story of Job is told in the Old Testament. Job is a guy who goes through a really difficult season in his life where he begins to ask some really big questions about who God is. And in the middle of all of that, he says this, is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? 
He's basically saying there's, there's some wisdom, there's some insights, there's some understanding that older generations often have. Now, that doesn't mean all older people are wise, right? Some aren't. <laughs> but there are some unique lessons. And there is some wisdom, and there are some insights, and there are some values that it's almost impossible to grasp in the beginning of your life. It's almost impossible to discover in your 20s or in your 30s. There's some, some things that you're going to have to know and have to learn, and the place that you'll probably learn them best is going to be from the older generation. Now, the Bible doesn't just push this idea that it's always young people that go to older people and listen and learn from them. In fact, sometimes it's the exact opposite. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he traveled around the world telling people about Jesus and helping communities of faith get started. And he had a whole bunch of co-workers that worked with him. And one of those co-workers was a guy named Timothy. Timothy had this vibrant faith. And he had this unique set of gifts and abilities, particularly leadership abilities. And by the way, do you know where Timothy learned his faith from? Where he learned all of what he knew about God? Paul tells us in a letter he wrote to Timothy, he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Timothy's a young guy at this point. He's basically a millennial, right? And, and uh, yet he has this very vibrant and sincere faith. And he learned it from the previous generations. He learned it from these two powerful women of faith in his life, his mom and his grandmother. But here's the more important point. Paul sees so much ability in Timothy that he sends Timothy to the church of Ephesus to be a pastor there. And Ephesus in the ancient world was the hub of activity. The church at Ephesus was one of the most important churches. It was like the mega church of that time. Like it was, it was sort of the center. It was a really important church. And it was full of a bunch of people in their 50s and 60s who had been following Jesus for quite a while and who knew a whole lot about that. And here comes Timothy, this young guy, and Paul can imagine that a lot of them think they know a whole lot more than Timothy. And they're looking at Timothy with folded arms thinking, what does this guy have to teach us? And so Paul writes this to Timothy, and we actually read the first part of this last week. He says, don't let anyone Look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In other words, just because you're young doesn't mean that other people, particularly older people, don't have anything to learn from you. In fact, Paul thinks they actually have a whole lot to learn from Timothy. Timothy has learned some things. He's embraced some values. He has some convictions. He has some, some character qualities that actually shine a whole lot brighter than some of the other people, particularly some of the older people that he's seen in that church. And so he's basically saying, look, you can be an example to them. They're the ones that need to listen and learn some really important things from you. And then there's a story from Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting because this story is actually repeated in a number of different places and in a number of different ways, and there's sometimes some different details. And so it almost seems like this didn't just happen once. This was a frequent occurrence 
in Jesus' ministry. Here's how Mark records one of those occurrences. He says this, People were bringing little children to Jesus. And the word used for little children there just means really any adolescent. So these could have been babies. These could have been little kids, older kids, tweens, teenagers. It could have really been any of those. But people were bringing these adolescents to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now the disciples, by this point in Jesus' ministry, they had become like Jesus' bouncers, right? Jesus had, had gained a lot in popularity, and so the crowds were beginning to follow him and press on in him, and the disciples were there in the front, and so they knew Jesus is busy, he's got stuff to do, there's Pharisees to rebuke, and there's crowds to teach, and there's people to heal, and there's, there's really important leaders to meet with to really get this movement going, and um, you know, mom, dad, it's nice that you're bringing your cute little daughter to Jesus, but I'm sorry, Jesus is a little more busy than that right now. And Mark tells us next, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And I love that word. It's probably the best translation of the Greek word. The Greek word just means he was really angry. He was indignant. Jesus didn't get that angry often, but every now and then he did. And this is one of those occasions he was really angry because he said to them, let the little children, the adolescents, let them come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Jesus is basically saying, hey, you guys need to understand, these kids, these teenagers that are listening to me, they're just as important as anyone else. They're just as important as all the adults and all the leaders and all the Pharisees. And they're just as important as anyone else. And that's not even the most important part. Moreover, you guys actually have something to learn from them. Like there is something about them. There, there's something about their perspective, their outlook, the way that they approach me. And it's almost like Jesus doesn't really tell us exactly what it is, but he's saying there's something about us as adults that when we get older, we outgrow it or we just don't have it anymore, but they still have it. And you need to learn from them. They've got some really important things to teach you. Now, there's other passages we could look at, particularly in the New Testament. Paul writes um, a bunch of letters uh, to Timothy, and he also writes some to another leader named Titus about how to lead their churches. And in those letters, in certain places, he says, look, there's older men in your communities that need to learn some things. There's younger men that need to learn some things. There's older women that need to learn some things. And there's younger women that need to learn some things. And the context for that learning and that growth is an intergenerational community. The context is intergenerational relationships. It's learning from and listening to one another. That if we want to grow as individuals in our faith, if we want to grow in our wisdom, if we want to grow in some important values and perspectives, if we even want to grow as a community of faith, then we just need to start connecting with and listening to and learning from each other. Now, <clears throat> I think this is actually a lot harder to do today than it was in Jesus and Paul's 
time period. And the reason I think it's harder today is because we're much more individualistic, we're much more mobile, and we're much more segregated. You see, we're a a much more individualistic culture. Um, Modern Western culture is so much more individualistic than it was uh, back in that time period. And that's a development that's been taking place over a few hundred years, and we don't have time to go into all the reasons that it's that way now. Um, But basically what that means is we tend to be very independent people. We don't like to ask other people for help. We want to learn things on our own. We tend to see ourselves as isolated individuals with personal dreams and personal hopes and personal desires and personal careers and personal possessions. And and yes, we have family and yes, we have friends. And sometimes we find a sense of community with other people. And even in light of that, we still think of ourselves primarily as individuals first. We never want to be fully dependent or reliant on other people. We're also a more mobile culture. Back in Jesus' time period, people rarely traveled. Jesus, as an adult, probably, as far as we can tell, never traveled more than 100 miles from his home. He probably never lived anywhere else. As far as we know, he lived in Egypt for a couple of years when he was a baby, and then they moved back to Nazareth, and he spent the rest of his life in and around his hometown of Nazareth. Now, Paul did travel a lot. He was a bit unique because that was a part of his calling. But the overwhelming majority of people in that culture were born in and raised and grew up in and stayed the rest of their lives in the same place. And they almost always stayed near family. And they almost always lived with family. And not just their nuclear family. That's a modern term. They lived with their whole extended family, which included many generations. Today, because of the availability of so many opportunities in other places, because of the ease of travel, because us in the Western world, especially in America, are affluent enough to be able to travel and move so easily, we are just so much more mobile. The average American will move, fully pack up everything and move to a different place 12 times in their lives. I'm guessing the average Denverite is even higher than that, given the transience of our culture. And so the question to ask is, what kind of relationships do you build? With just anyone, but particularly with people that are not even your age or from your generation, what kind of community do you build when you rarely live near or with extended family and you rarely live in one place for more than a few years? It's just so much harder in our mobile culture. We're also a segregated culture in a lot of different ways, right? But especially as it comes to age. It's because of geography. It's because of affluence. It's because of mobility. It's because of opportunities. It's because of a whole lot of factors. But it means that we most, for the most part, we live lives where we don't significantly engage other people who are a whole lot different than us people we spend the most time with, and the people we usually live around are people that look a lot like us. If you have an apartment in Lodo, you're probably young and single, and you probably have a good job downtown, and you probably live near a bunch of other people who are young and single 
and work at jobs just like that. And you probably hang out mostly with people that are like that, which is natural, right? You're drawn to and live in our culture near other people that are like you. If you bought a a house in Highlands Ranch or in Parker or somewhere in the suburbs, uh, you're probably married. You probably have kids. You're trying to raise a family. Maybe your kids are young. Maybe they're a little bit older. Um, You probably make enough to be able to buy a good house in the suburbs. You wanted to buy a house in the city, but then you realized you could get a 4-3 in the suburbs for the price of a 2-1 in the city, and it was a no-brainer, right? And you're in a season of parenting and raising a family, and all the other people that you hang out with and spend time with are people who are in the same season of life that you are. It's just natural, but it's segregated, isn't it? Our churches are often age-segregated. We have young, hip churches, and we have older, traditional churches. Workplaces are often age-segregated. Not all. Sometimes they're more diverse, especially if you work in a larger company, but I'm guessing even the coworkers that you're drawn to and that you go out to lunch with and you tend to hang out with are people that are most like you. It's just the nature of our culture. It's just not necessary for us. There's nothing compelling or forcing us to spend significant amounts of time with people who are significantly different than us. And so we often don't. So outside of our families, we rarely develop significant relationships of people with people of different ages. And it's partly because we're just more individualistic. We're more mobile, and we're more segregated. But I think we have to. I think we have to start connecting with, listening to, and learning from people in other generations. I think there's important wisdom we can gain from them. There's some important values and perspectives that we can learn from them. Let me just give you a few suggestions Um, Do you know what we can learn from builders and boomers? Commitment, sacrifice, and stability. You see, I think younger generations tend to have a hard time, harder time with those three things. It's hard for us to commit to anything, right? To commit to one job for very long, to commit to one place, to commit to one cause, to commit to our plans for next weekend, right? Because we just want to keep our options open. That's what we've been told all our lives, is we can keep our options open. So we often do that. But there's something really rich and valuable and healthy in the values of commitment and sacrifice and stability. And if older generations will promise not to lecture us on those things, then maybe we need to spend more time with them and ask them to share their stories of when they had to commit and when they had to sacrifice and what stability has looked like in their lives. And it's going to look different in our lives. Every generation is going to live it a little differently. But don't we have something to learn from them? So what can we learn from Gen Xers? Those are folks in their 40s and 50s for the most part. Here's what I think we can learn. The value of facing limitations. You see, somewhere in that middle stretch of your life, um, you tend to face significant limitations. 
Certainly some people face significant limitations earlier in their life, for sure. But a lot of us in our 40s and in our 50s come face to face with dreams that never came true, with a job or a career that never panned out the way we thought it would, a job that maybe is good but isn't as fulfilling as we thought it would, challenges with family, challenges with health that don't go away. And sometimes those limitations knock us down and they beat us up. And sometimes they forge a faith and they give us a wisdom and an insight that every 20 or 30 year old needs to be prepared for, but really is only going to learn from people who are in the middle of that. And maybe even 60 and 70 year olds need to be reminded of what it's like to go through that and still learn as you face limitations. So what can we learn from millennials? <clears throat> Nothing, really. <laughs> um, just kidding. You guys are the best. Just had to, couldn't resist. <clears throat> I think we can learn more from you guys than we admit. <clears throat> I think we can learn passion and presence. You see, it's easy for us when we get older, when you get past 40 or 50, it's easy to lose passion in life. It's easy to lose passion for relationships. You've been burned a lot. It's easy to lose passion for community. It's easy to lose passion for Jesus, for authentic experience. It's easy to give up. It's easy to get cynical and negative and cranky about everything. And of course, I'm generalizing, right? And not all millennials are this way, but on the whole, your generation tends to be more positive and confident and optimistic and hopeful. And you have this desire to experience life to the fullest and in its most authentic way. And that desire cultivates a passion that you often bring to so many different things in life. And that's good. And we need to learn that from you. You need to infect the rest of us with that passion. I also think presence is important to you. I think you're grappling with this idea of presence right now in a way that none of us have had to. Because you see what technology and consumerism do. And you see how those things are often against really experiencing presence with God and presence with one another. And so you're asking really important questions that that we have not had to ask before. And the truth is, I think we need to listen and learn from you because you'll probably be the generation that figures out the answers of what it means to be present in a world full of distractions and possessions. And the last... What can we learn from Gen Zers? Well, for starters, we can learn from you how to use our phones better, right? Let's be honest. You guys can teach us how to navigate this new world that's not going to go away, right? And they're going to come up with some answers of how to live in this world, and we're going to have to listen to those answers. But maybe more importantly, I think we can learn from you a new perspective on faith. This is what Jesus talked about. And I'm not even sure what that new perspective will be. 
I mean, certainly it'll be grounded in some of the ancient ways of following Jesus, but it might actually look different. You see, every generation tries to figure out what it means to be on a journey of faith and how to understand God and and what it means to have a relationship with God and what church should look like. And every generation tends to codify their own way of doing that. To come up with codes and rules and standards and think that that's the only and the best way. And we often get stuck in those boxes and in those formulas, which is why we need to be listening and learning from teenagers and from kids right now who are going to challenge our formulas and challenge our boxes and maybe help us experience and see faith in new ways. So those are just a few thoughts. There's probably a whole lot more. I want to leave you with one question. What are you doing to connect with, to listen to, and to learn from other generations? Like practically, what are you actually doing? Here's one suggestion. Do you know why we talk about uh, D groups and retreats and events like that all the time? While we're always saying, you should sign up for a group of people where you get to know these people and you hang out with them regularly. Or you should go on the women's retreat. Why uh, Emily talked about that earlier. And you should hang out and it's just a weekend. We don't do that just to get a whole bunch of people to sign up. So we can say, look how many people went, right? We do that partly because we've come to believe and experience and know that it's in these kinds of settings where you commit to sort of regular relationships with people who might be very different than you. Or you go away for a weekend to the mountains and you hang out with a bunch of women or a bunch of other guys who are in different seasons of life, that these are some of the best and richest times to connect with people who are different. And to listen to their stories and their journeys of faith and to actually learn from them. So here's the most practical thing you can do. I think every single woman in here should go sign up for the women's retreat today. It's the easiest way to do something like this. Guys, you can sign up for the men's retreat today. It's in October, but you can already sign up for it. So go sign up for today and just say, hey, that's an easy way. I'm going to spend two days in the mountains hanging out with a bunch of guys. I mean, it's fun. And yet, it's a great way to begin connecting and listening and learning. There's other ways you can think of them, but I hope you will go home today and you will ask this question. I hope you won't watch the game tonight, and I hope you won't go to bed tonight before you really ask this question. What am I doing to connect with and to listen to and to learn from people of other generations? Let me pray for us. Lord, you've been faithful um, to the people of God all the way from that generation entering the promised land thousands of years ago to that first generation of people that put their faith in Jesus to the next generation of people that they pass it on to and through the hundreds and hundreds of years. And so God, here we are today and I'm so thankful for what you've done at New Denver and how there's so many different people that are represented here from different generations. God, let us not take that lightly. Help us to leverage that, to leverage the stories that exist in this room, the learning that exists in this room, the wisdom that exists 
in this very room. Help us to become the kind of community of faith that you imagine we could be. And whatever fears we have about stepping out in faith and just building better relationships with others, help us to ultimately trust in you with those things. Pray this in your name. Amen.